0: Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, best-selling novelist John Green joins me to talk about his love for soccer, including Liverpool FC and the inspirational six-division rise of AFC Wimbledon, where he's a sponsor of the team, and the stadium's north stand is literally called the John Green Stand.
1: For me, there is something special about soccer culture. Part of it is that the teams usually aren't franchises, at least outside the United States. And so they really are community assets. So whether or not your team succeeds or fails is partly a reflection of the strength of your community. But I also think part of it's just the culture of soccer fandom. You know, it's the singing, it's the being with people. It's a sense of like finding your people
0: finding your community and it's so powerful all that and my thoughts on the world of soccer coming up take one here we go with my three thoughts first up bruce arena starts his first u.s men's national team camp in more than a decade this week in southern california the two friendlies this month against serbia and jamaica aren't a big deal at all but this month is still important for the national team Arena's goal is to change the tone of what's happening inside this team. And more than tactics, more than anything else, Arena is a master of man-management and building teams. The biggest impact Arena will have this month is simple. His players will start to look forward to coming into the national team camps again. That wasn't happening under Jurgen Klinsmann, and that is no small thing. Take two. Next up, I hope you're enjoying listening to these podcast interviews as much as I am doing them. My main goal with these interviews is to bring on interesting people from the soccer world and learn something from them. These are in-depth interviews too, not just sound bites, and in some ways that's a throwback in today's media landscape that I'm glad to be a part of. And not to sound like a public radio fundraising pitch, but if you like the podcast, you could do it a huge favor by subscribing... By writing reviews on iTunes and by recommending it to your friends. That's the best way for the podcast to continue. Thanks for listening to it. Take three. Finally, what's on my radar this week? Manchester United hosts arch rival Liverpool on Sunday, January 15th at 8 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Don't look now, but Jose Mourinho's bunch has eight victories in a row in all competitions, including six straight in the league. A home win would put United just two points behind Liverpool, which currently sits in second place. Suddenly, with Chelsea's loss to Spurs, we have a race in the Premier League again. And this is a huge opportunity for Man United to become a realistic challenger in that race. Now, my interview with John Green. Our guest today is the wildly popular author of several New York Times bestsellers, including Paper Towns and The Fault in Our Stars. He is one half of the Vlog Brothers on YouTube, co creator of the educational series Crash Course, and he features in the new YouTube show 100 Days. But John Green is something else, too. He is a huge fan of Liverpool FC and a sponsor of the now third tier English club AFC Wimbledon, whose underdog story is the subject of a new film he's producing. John Green, thanks for joining the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Grant. It's great to be here.
0: I have so many questions for you just in terms of soccer. I mean, we could have a podcast about any number of subjects not soccer, but we're a soccer podcast. So I wanted to start with a question that's pretty basic. How the heck did you get so into soccer?
1: Well, I mean, I played soccer when I was a kid, like a lot of American children, but I had no talent for it whatsoever. I was, however, a pretty good soccer fan. Even when I was in high school, my high school team was really good. And I went to all of their games and was friends with close friends with a lot of the players. And I guess I sort of started to love the game when I was in high school. Uh, and then when we were living in New York about 12 years ago, uh, soccer came to cable. Uh, English soccer came to cable. And then it got just got out of control. Uh, I think that's the case for a lot of American soccer fans. You know, once I was able to watch the games on TV, it became... Not just a hobby, but almost a character flaw.
0: So, what position did you play when you played?
1: Uh, I mean, I was always sort of left back, right back. I was. Uh, they would try to put me somewhere where I could do minimal damage.
0: <laughs> As Jurgen Klinsmann once said, anyone can play left back. Um, yeah, exactly. I was the
1: I was the James Milner of uh, <laughs> my middle school soccer team. <laughs>
0: So what I'm wondering about in terms of fandom is, and we've seen this culture of soccer fandom really develop in the U.S. over the last decade, and you know certainly English soccer, but also soccer from Mexico, Latin America, other countries on the continent, but I do think there's something about soccer culture and fandom that's interesting. Is there something about being a soccer fan that you think you don't necessarily get as a fan of more traditional U.S. pro sports like the NFL, baseball, or basketball?
1: I do, um, and I I think part of it is promotion and relegation. I think MLS has built a really strong uh, fan culture, and I was at a Portland Timbers game this season, and I was blown Mm -hmm. away by the quality of the support. Um, I think that we're always looking for communities and there are people who are, you know, I live in Indianapolis and there are people who think of themselves as Indianapolis Colts fans as one of their central identities. Um, But, for me, there is something special about soccer culture. Part of it is that the teams usually aren't franchises, uh, at least outside the United States, and so they really are community assets. Uh, so whether or not your team succeeds or fails is partly a reflection of the strength of your community. But I also, think part of it's just the culture of soccer fandom. You know, it's it's the singing, it's the being with people. It's it's a sense of like finding your people, finding your community. And it's so powerful. Like I, I, you know, when I'm with Liverpool fans, it's, it's one, you know, it really is one of my core identities that, um, that this is the football team that I support. It's a huge part of my life. And I used to be kind of embarrassed about it. I used to think like, what's wrong with me, that if you ask me to tell you 10 things about myself, I'll tell you that I'm a a husband and a a father and a novelist and a Liverpool fan. Uh, But (laughs) I'm not embarrassed about it anymore because I think that, you know, you find your communities where you can and we should celebrate that.
0: So why Liverpool? Why did you choose this team?
1: I mean, it was, you know, when I was a kid, they were good is probably the the short answer, uh, which is a terrible reason to pick a football team, as any uh, 19-year-old Manchester United fan knows. Uh, But they were good when I was a kid. And then secondarily, uh, I just loved Stevie G. I just Loved him. You know, he's a little bit little bit younger than me, but uh, from approximately the same generation and watching him uh, kind of grow up and grow into that captain's role at Liverpool uh, had a big impact on my fandom, I think.
0: So we still have a lot of people in the U.S. who are choosing their Premier League teams or their English yeah. teams in different divisions. If you're making a case for somebody to choose Liverpool, an American, what's the case you would make? Well, we've got
1: American owners. There, so there's your start. You've already got your connection to America. We're sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts, a wonderful American company. Ah. Um, so there's, those are two really strong American connections right at the outset. Uh, but I think the real reason to become a Liverpool fan is that there is no song in football like You'll Never Walk Alone. Nothing will make you feel the way that hearing You'll Never Walk Alone at Anfield will make you feel. Um, and that uh, there is a really... There's a wonderful history. I mean, non-Liverpool fans always make fun of Liverpool talk. Liverpool fans talking about their history, um, but there is a wonderful history to the club. It's been a community asset in Liverpool for so long, and uh, so I, I think about the the five European Cups and the eighteen league titles as. Um, uh, yeah as a big part of it for me also we've got Jurgen Klopp i mean right now it's just an absolute golden age to be a Liverpool fan because we play beautiful beautiful football it is so fun to watch even when we're losing it's fun to watch so i mean yeah you can go at yeah, like you can support a, a club that's coached by Jose Mourinho and they're going to win a lot of games but ugh, at what cost you know at the cost of beauty whereas Liverpool boy we play pretty even when we play poorly
0: I was going to ask you it sounds like you're a Jurgen Klopp guy.
1: Oh yeah, I love him. I I'm, I I'm, I'm 100% on the bandwagon.
0: <laughs> um I want to ask you about the first game you ever attended at Anfield and your memories of that game and you'll never walk alone and just the whole setting.
1: Yeah, I mean my memory is just being kind of kind of weepy. You know, it was just uh it was very powerful for me, and there was there was a sense of almost like making a pilgrimage. I mean, there a, a lot of soccer fandom. I think is you know taking some of the things that we associate with religious communities and putting them into secular spaces. And going to Anfield to me did feel like a kind of pilgrimage, and uh, that was the culminating moment. They did win the game, which was nice, but uh, but whenever I go uh, to a football match. The results are important, but they they aren't as important as the experience.
0: Now, you do live in Indianapolis. What is the sort of regular setting in which you watch Liverpool games?
1: So I usually watch at home. Um, There is a great local pub called the Union Jack that uh, has the Liverpool fan community in Indianapolis. And they have an awesome turnout every weekend for the games. But uh, I have little kids. And one of the things that my wife likes about my soccer fandom is that, uh, I will wake up at seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and take care of our kids so that I can watch the games. So I'm usually at home.
0: (laughs) Do you have to censor yourself? How does that work when you're watching the game? Are you, do you get pretty, uh, vocal about things?
1: I try really, really hard. I used to, I try really hard now not to let, uh, the results get to me one way or another. Like For a long time, it would define my weekend. You know, Liverpool wins, I'm happy all weekend. Liverpool loses, I'm grumpy all weekend. And I just don't think that's the right way to go through life. Like, I don't want to give that much of myself uh, to, you know, the results of a soccer game that I have no control over. So what I try to tell myself every morning before a Liverpool game is how lucky am I to be able to spend the next two hours watching this football club that I love no matter what happens, like, this is just a wonderful, like, two-hour period. It's a gift that I have been given, and no matter what, like, I get to watch soccer and be on Twitter and hooray for that and not (laughs) focus so much on whether we win, although that has been easier this season with us winning more.
0: Well, that's the thing. There's a lot of optimism around Liverpool right now. They're in second place in the league. Uh, Chelsea just dropped points for the first time in quite a while. Is Liverpool, in your mind, a real contender to win the Premier League? And what is your ultimate Liverpool fantasy?
1: Uh, Yeah, I just want to see them win the league once. That's my ultimate fantasy. (laughs) Um, I mean, I remember the day uh, of the Champions League final in 2005 Mm -hmm. extremely vividly, and it is one of the best memories of my life. Um, certainly one of the best non- family memories memories of my life. Uh, and I would like to experience that I would really like to win the league once um, in in my life. So that I guess that's my go- my goal. Uh, I do think that it's possible this year. Uh, I think it's way too early. I, I, a lot of people like to s- make predictions about the Premier League like really, really early. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think so much can happen. In the second half of the season, it's so there are so many competitions that teams get involved in. Who knows what the FA Cup run is going to look like? And all of that stuff, I think, can affect the league outcome a lot. So uh, I think it's way too early, but I like uh, the way that we're playing. I think we have great players. Um, you know, Liverpool is always going to be a bit of an underdog because we don't spend as much money. We can't spend as much money as uh, Chelsea or Manchester City or even Manchester United. So it's always going to be a little bit of an underdog in the same way. I think that maybe Arsenal is, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, an underdog that every year has, has a chance and not like a Leicester city chance, like a proper chance. Right.
0: Right. Um, I want to get to AFC Wimbledon, which is just a fascinating story. Uh, and your connection to it is a fascinating story, but I want to ask you real quick about your new YouTube show. 100 days. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I have been watching it. Um, As someone who is hitting the gym in the new year myself right now, uh, I I see a lot of of things to resonate for me there. Uh, Do you want to explain what it is?
1: Yeah. So my best friend Chris and I decided to try to have a healthy midlife crisis. Um, So we're trying to learn about health and fitness. Uh, Chris is a pretty fit person. He's a high school athlete, but, you know, it's kind of let himself go a little bit in the way of most people who are in their late 30s, early 40s. And uh, and now we're trying to recommit ourselves to for 100 days to learn as much as we can about our bodies and about fitness, and it's been so fun. Um, it's just been an absolute blast. I have never really enjoyed exercising before, but I've learned a lot about myself the last uh, few weeks, and I have really experienced a kind of uh awakening i guess when it comes to physical exercise like i've, I've started to actually enjoy it so uh you can watch the show over at youtube.com 100 days but it's been so fun and uh we haven't yet done a soccer workout but i think we will before it's all over
0: <laughs> i've had this story idea for a while that i want to go through the u.s men's national team physical training tests that they do <laughs> <Yeah>. in january <laughs> just to find out how poorly I would do or maybe surprise myself, yeah. I don't know. But um, that hasn't happened yet. So it's one thing to talk about it. Are you literally sore right now, by the way? as, as you I speak to- am,
1: yeah. I am waist down. I am the most sore I've been in this entire project. Uh, we actually did a exercise class. My wife uh, attends this exercise class called The Daily Method, and we did this class and I have been able to survive everything. I've survived boxing. I've survived, survived roller derby, but I could not survive this daily method class. It just destroyed me. So I can barely walk up and down stairs right now.
0: <laughs> um, so is this 100 days, is it happening basically in real time?
1: Yeah, we're like slightly delayed. You know, we're a few Mm -hmm. weeks uh, ahead of where the videos are being uploaded so that they have time to design the animations and everything. But Mm -hmm. it's pretty close, so I'm uh, I'm still in the thick of it.
0: Okay. One other non-soccer question I wanted to ask you was, in 2014, Sports Illustrated's sister publication, Time Magazine, named you to the Time 100, which is their choice of the 100 most influential people, in the world, and it's a pretty eclectic list of people, but they have this event in New York, and I was just curious to know who were some of the people that uh, that you met that you found interesting, and have you been there the year that Abby Wambach won it? Did you meet her when she was doing that?
1: I have not met Abby Wambach. That would be super cool. Um, I, I have uh, met some pretty amazing people at that party, though. It is definitely the coolest party I've ever been invited to. Uh, I met Laverne Cox from Orange is the New Black. Mm -hmm. um, And Genji Cohen, the creator of of that show, Uh, met John Oliver, uh, who was a Liverpool fan, which was uh, was cool. And, uh, you know, probably the most interesting person I met at that party, though, was Raj Punjabi, who uh, is the head of Last Mile Health, an organization that does... uh, sort of employs community health workers in Liberia. And he's just a fascinating person. And and, uh, Last Mile Health was on the front lines of the Ebola crisis, um, uh, you know, like a year or two back. And the work that they did was just incredible. And so, uh, but it it is an interesting group group of people. I mean, uh, Donald Trump was also there. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. Didn't meet him? I did not meet him, no.
0: (laughs) Okay. Moving back to soccer. In November 1998, I attended my first Premier League game in person. It was at Stamford Bridge between Chelsea, this team that I had picked as my team back in 1998, uh, pre-Roman Abramovich, I always say. Uh, (laughs) And and the opponent was AFC Wimbledon, uh, which was in the Premier League, and Uh, The way they played that day was sort of what their reputation was, which was maybe at the time not the most attractive team ever, but they were in the Premier League. Um, Right. A lot has happened to Wimbledon and its successors since then. Is there a short way of telling that story and your connection to Wimbledon and how that developed?
1: Sure. Uh, Not that short, maybe, but fairly short. The short way is that uh, the team came into some financial trouble and then was eventually purchased by a group of people who uh, advocated to move the club to Milton Keynes, Mm -hmm. uh, which is about 100 kilometers away and that's just not something that happens in, in English football because the teams aren't franchises they're considered community assets generally and so you know it's not like the uh, the Baltimore Colts moving to Indianapolis it's, it was sort of unprecedented in English soccer history um, but the English FA allowed the move to happen and then you know people who were Wimbledon fans had no team to support you know many people who for generations had been Wimbledon fans as a team that had been playing since the 1880s Uh, So what they did uh, was they started their own soccer team. They decided to have a team that would be owned by the fans, that would be for the fans. They started out in the ninth tier of English soccer down in the combined county leagues, playing, you know, often in front of crowds of 50, (laughs) Um, you know, (laughs) watching the games on hay bales and stuff. Uh, and, And that's a long way down from the Premier League, of course. But over the next nine years, they worked their way back up uh, through the English tiers uh, until 2011, when they made it to the playoff final to have one game to get back into the football league and become a full-time professional team again. And they won that game uh, in a penalty shootout with when their 19-year-old goalkeeper, Seb Brown, saved two penalties Uh, against Luton Town and they became a full-time team again and then they got promoted again last year. They Mm -hmm. won a game at Wembley, another playoff final, Uh, and now they're in the third tier of of English soccer. Um, And I found out about this story several years ago. They've always kind of been like a team of the internet because of this astonishing rise and the fact that they're owned by their fans, which is very rare in English soccer. And uh, I decided that it would be funny and maybe interesting if the ad revenue from the video game uh, channel that my brother and I have uh, went to this actual soccer team because most of the ad revenue is from me playing FIFA. (laughs) So I play FIFA as this soccer team, but then the ad revenue goes to the actual soccer team. And as a result, we are now the back of shorts sponsor of AFC Wimbledon. Uh, So they have a crest um, that says DFTBA, which is like our slogan, don't forget to be awesome that they wear on the back of their shorts.
0: Fantastic. And we are speaking on Friday, uh, January 6th. On January 7th, yeah. this, will, this will be coming out, this podcast, a couple of days afterward, but it's a pretty cool thing happening on January 7th where Wimbledon is going to be on U.S. television, on FS1, in the FA Cup. Tell me about it.
1: Oh, it's really exciting. Wimbledon are only on uh, American TV once every few years. So uh, this is like Christmas for me, but Christmas that doesn't even come once a year. Um, I'm really excited. It's the third round of the FA Cup. They're playing Sutton United, which is actually a really interesting opponent for them because way back in 2002 when the team... Uh, reformed and you know it was just a bunch of fans who were starting a football club Sutton United was generous enough to offer a preseason friendly match um that AFC Wimbledon used to raise funds to start that first season so there's always been a special kinship between Wimbledon fans and Sutton United supporters and so it'll be a really interesting matchup uh these days Wimbledon is a couple leagues ahead of Sutton United actually Mm -hmm. but um still gonna be uh a tough game and i just i i am really excited but i also really really hope they win
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're not just a sponsor your name is on the north stand at yeah the Wibbleton yeah. stadium it's the john green yeah. stand um yeah what's the story Uh, You know,
1: they needed a sponsor for the North Stand. AFC (laughs) Wimbledon used to have the smallest uh, stadium in in League Two, the fourth tier of English soccer, and now they have the smallest stadium in League One, the third tier. So, you know, it's not a particularly impressive stand, it must be said. I think it seats about 800 people, (laughs) but I am thrilled to be able to be the... uh, The sponsor of the North Stand, and even though, like the demographics of AFC Wimbledon fans and readers of young adult novels don't line up that well, (laughs) I still feel like it's a pretty good marketing investment.
0: Do you think you've influenced some young Americans to pay attention to Wimbledon and and Liverpool who maybe wouldn't have wanted to before? Uh, I don't know. I
1: hope so. Um, It's uh, it would be great if that if that were the case. I, I do think that you know Wimbledon was was a team that the internet loved long before. Uh, I became involved with the club, but I, I think that uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, it's I'm I'm at least part of telling their story to the world because it is it is an extraordinary story, and it's a story about how you know a community is stronger than commerce ultimately. You know, I mean, the team that used to be AFC, th- that used to be Wimbledon, the team that moved to Milton Keynes, is also in the third tier of English soccer now, and what that says to me is that um, you know you can have these corporate interests exert their will on your sport but it will never be as strong as the community of fans uh who are surrounded by a team ultimately you know a, a football club is made out of the people who care about it it's not made out of uh any the owners or the corporate sponsors or anyone and and Wimbledon is to me the greatest example of that and so I'm very proud to be associated with them just because I think that they run their club in the right way and um and they've had a lot of success
0: earlier this year, you announced you're going to be producing uh, a film about Wimbledon, about the story of this rise. Uh, How did that come about? Uh, Where are you on the project?
1: Well, there's a long way to go. And there's always, you know, it's, it's hard to get a movie made in Hollywood. But we've got a great screenwriter, Richard Cordner, working on it. And uh, the folks at Fox 2000 are producing it. And I have a lot of uh, trust in them and I've had great experiences working with them in the past. So I hope it gets made someday. Um but yeah, I just think it's uh it's such a great story and it really is to me it like represents the best of sports or like the best of what sports can do. And so I just uh kind of pitched the idea both to Fox and to uh some of the people at Wimbledon who were involved in the initial formation of the club and Everybody was pretty excited about the prospects for it, and so that's that's kind of how it came to pass. I, I really do hope that it gets made someday because it's it, it's just a story that um, it it just absolutely lifts your heart.
0: I wanted to ask you about a high school friend of yours who is going to be a guest on this podcast. I say with fingers crossed. I think he will be Daniel Alarcon. Uh, yeah, who uh, has his own soccer connections uh, to Peru and to all sorts of soccer. Did you, what was kind of your connection to him back in high school? Were you how tight were you guys, and what sort of soccer connection do you have?
1: Well, I mean, our graduating class only had 52 people in it, so we were pretty <laughs> tight. He's a great guy, and uh, he beat me uh, for the creative writing prize all three years that we were uh, in the same class uh, in high school. So um, you know, we had a bit of a friendly rivalry going as as writers. Uh, he's just an astonishingly good writer, uh whether he's writing about uh soccer or whatever he's just just brilliant and his fiction's brilliant his reporting's brilliant uh, I just feel very lucky to to know Daniel. He was also when we were in high school an extremely good soccer player. He was one of the best players on our team, and our team was one of the better teams in the state. Uh, it was Alabama. So, you know, it's not like that, that prestigious, but it, it, he was very good, uh, very fast, um, able to one of those kind of like a box to box midfielder, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's a good was a good player. And I think he still is a pretty good player. He's still in pretty good shape
0: he also hosts uh, a really good soccer or not soccer podcast uh spanish language podcast radio ambulante yeah uh, which radio is...
1: ambulante it's great everybody should check that out yeah um they even if if you don't speak spanish they have some good translations available but if you do speak spanish um uh my son who is seven but also but but fluent in spanish uh listens although not all of it is appropriate for kids but um But they've got just great stories. It it really is. It's the This American Life of uh, Spanish language radio.
0: So just to finish up here, what are some of the things on John Green's soccer bucket list that you still want to do?
1: Um, I'll tell you what, going to Wembley to see Wimbledon get promoted, uh, was on my bucket list, but then that happened, but it was so, it felt so good grant that I would like to see it happen twice more. (laughs) Um, I would like to see them get promoted to the championship and then I would like to see them get promoted to the premier league before I die. That would be, um, that would be about as good as it gets for me and, and Liverpool winning the league. You know, the other thing I would love to I would love to go um, and see some of the like classic soccer matchups in person, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'd love to I'd love to see Barcelona and Real Madrid. I'd love to see what's the what's the other team in Rome?
0: Oh, uh, uh, Lazio against Roma.
1: Lazio, yeah, I'd I'd love to see Roma play Lazio. Uh, I have a really good friend here who's a huge Roma fan, and I think it'd be really fun to go see him go see that with him. Um, but you know, mostly I just want to be able to spend you know Saturday mornings with my kids watching uh, Liverpool together. It it just brings me so much happiness, and I, yeah, it's just great great time with my family.
0: What would happen if? Liverpool played your team, Wimbledon, in the Premier League. Where would your rooting interest lie there?
1: Well, they played a couple of years ago in the third round of the FA Cup. And so I had occasion to consider this with some, <laughs> um, with some seriousness. And it was hard. I mean, it's the, it's, the, you know, it's the team I support versus the team I sponsor. Uh, it obviously, it would be good news for, uh, for my sponsorship if AFC Wimbledon had won that game. In the end, uh, I couldn't root against liverpool um and i don't think that i could in the premier league uh so i would root for wimbledon to stay up but i would root for them to lose two games a season
0: (laughs) good to know i hope you get the opportunity someday to to think about that and, and encounter that john green he's on twitter at john green his soccer tweets are at sports with john thanks for joining me
1: oh thank you so much grant take care
0: Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank John Green, as well as everyone at Digital Media and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, there are other great new and archived episodes you can check out, including my recent interviews with Bob Bradley, Rory Smith, Jonathan Northcroft, and Juan Carlos Osorio. You can subscribe to and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.